Hello, and welcome to The Plants We Eat, a podcast about the history, culture, and science behind the plants we use for food. My name is Jeff Gilman, and I'm here with... Cindy Proctor. And, and we are going to talk about... Coconuts. Coconuts. Sorry. That's all right. You can say coconuts. Okay. So do you like coconuts? I do. I, I don't like coconut flakes, but I like coconut everything else. So my wife, um, Suzanne, she is not a coconut person at all. I think she actually likes the flavor, but the grittiness of the coconut um, she's not into. So today I brought something a little bit different. I didn't want to bring the regular coconut. Everybody at home, or at least most of you at home, have probably tried the flaked coconut, but you may not have tried what I'm about to drink right now. This is coconut water. Mm, yeah, well, you know, it's pretty much what I'd expect well, coconut water to taste like. it's flavored with pineapple, though. Yes, it has a little bit of pineapple, but honestly, it's not hard to separate. But it's though. kind of a creamy taste, but refreshing at the same time. It is. You know how milk isn't refreshing on a hot day? I could eat, drink this on a hot day. You could drink it on a hot day. Michael, thoughts? I didn't know this was coconut because I'm not a coconut person either, but it tastes delicious, but it tastes just like coconut and water with a hint of pineapple, just a little bit. You look like you get to the gym now and again. Oh, yeah, like four or five times a week. You can tell. So let me so let me ask you something. Do you drink sports drinks very much? Only time I, I drink a sports drinks is when I go to the to the cafeteria here at school. That's the only time. Okay, because actually coconut water recently, especially in health circles, has been advertised as an alternative to things like Gatorade and, and Powerade. And, you know, after drinking it right now, and this is the first time, honestly, I've had coconut water, I actually thought this would be, taste-wise, a good replacement for a Gatorade or a Powerade. What do you think? I think so. Yeah. I'll drink this before I get a Gatorade. Yeah. Because it has so much sugar in it. Yeah, it does. This has uh, less sugar. Not a lot less sugar, but I think about 60% of the sugar. But it's more of a natural sugar. And it's more of a natural sugar, so it might be a little healthier for you. Now, um, it has been touted as a superfood. It has been. Not coconut itself, I don't think, but the coconut water and coconut milk, which is often used in desserts. We should explain the difference between, co- man, I've got this cup. I actually really like this. I know. I'm going to drink the rest of it. <laughs> That's all. It's all yours. Go for <laughs> it. kidding. So there's a difference between coconut water and coconut milk. The coconut water comes from the inside of the coconut. And the coconut milk actually comes from the part of the coconut, that white part that's actually along the outer husk. And I'm going to explain all that biologically in just a minute because the coconut's an incredibly interesting plant. But let's start with telling people where coconuts are, are from. Well, is it kind of a who knows? Because they can travel. They can tra- They float. They float. Coconuts float. That's cool. So, you know, <laughs> if you're into plant propagation, you know there's something called the sink test. What's the sink test? Well, most seeds sink. And if a seed sinks, it means that it's a healthy seed and you should go ahead and plant it and you're going to get a new plant. On the other hand, if the seeds float, that means that the seeds are no good and you throw them away. So the sink test works. Sink test does not work for the coconut because <laughs> coconuts naturally float. And because of that, they've traveled across oceans. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. Now, having said that, there are two sites where the coconut seems to have been domesticated. It's actually an incredibly intense discussion on this uh, occurs across many, many papers over many, many years. I found it absolutely fascinating. Honestly, I think that most of our listeners would find it boring. (laughs) So I'm just going to say that in 2011, uh, Ken Olson, a guy named Ken Olson, uh, did some work with looking at coconuts basically across the world and figured out that coconuts basically developed in two areas. One was the Pacific and one was uh, essentially India. In the Pacific, 
they had a type of coconut which was called new vi. And new vi, we can call it NV for short, is the one that seems most domesticated. It's rounder, uh, holds more of the water, hold more, holds more of the coconut water, has more of the meat. It has the coarse hair. It, it, well, yeah, but so does the other type of coconut. Yes, but not all, not all of them do. Well, not all of them do. Some have more and less hair. Actually, the Pacific group has a bit less hair. Mm-hmm. The one with more hair is the new coffee group. We can call it the NK group. This is the one in India, and this has more of a triangular shell and more of the hair outside what you think of as the coconut. The new Vi group, that Pacific group, that seems to have been more intensely bred or domesticated or at least selected for because you actually have dwarf trees. The trees growing tall isn't considered an advantage. Why isn't it considered an advantage? Because it's considered very, very dangerous to have tall trees carrying two to five pound nuts that can fall on somebody's head. This is considered a very bad idea. Trees can actually be 75 to 100 feet. Coconuts can weigh up to 10 pounds. Online, you can actually find where people say that 150 people die a year from coconuts. <laughs> I actually found a really interesting paper fact checking this. There is no reason to believe that 150 people die a year from falling coconuts, but there are absolutely instances where we find people maimed and killed. It just probably isn't 150 a year. Um, I found this really interesting. The Indian government removed coconuts from trees around Mumbai's Gandhi Museum when Barack Obama visited in 2010 as a safety precaution because people in India had been injured or killed by falling coconuts every year. So they decided it'd be best just to <laughs> clean all this stuff up wow. so that so that he wouldn't get hit by a coconut, which is awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. And you know, you know what's even funnier? You know, we're talking about these uh, coconuts hitting people in the head. Cocoa means head. That's, oh. why, that's why they're called heads. And why do they look like a head? Because they have those three little holes in them. Okay, so when you think of a coconut, you think of that hairy brown thing. And I think it's important to understand when we're talking about coconuts, that's not actually what a coconut looks like. That's actually kind of a peeled coconut. The coconut's actually bigger and green. And then inside that, there's a whole bunch of uh, coir or hairy stuff. And then inside of that is the seed. The coconut is one huge seed. Okay. So cool. Isn't that cool? It is really cool. All right. Now, the coconut is actually very similar to a single kernel of corn, just one big kernel of corn. The coconut is a monocot more closely related to grass than to any nut. The coconut is not a nut, even despite its name. It's closer to grass. When you think of the coconut, what you're seeing is the outer layer of the seed. Now, what's inside a seed? Basically, three things. There is the seed coat. That's what you see when you look at a peeled coconut, that brown peeled coconut. The outer layer is the seed coat. Most of what's inside is the endosperm. What's an endosperm? That is the fuel that the young coconut needs to grow. Or any seed. Or any seed needs to grow. When you bite down on a kernel of corn, the outer layer of the kernel of corn is, you know, that thin outer layer. When you bite down on the kernel of corn, it squishes in your mouth. But what you're actually tasting is the endosperm. Mm -hmm. And that's what feeds the the corn or the coconut before roots and and, and a, a shoot comes out. 
Exactly. And if you're wondering where the young coconut itself is, that is actually inside the coconut. It's very tiny. And you know where those three holes are? It's actually right underneath there. So in that young embryo, you can even think of it as a fetus. I mean, that's a weird analogy. That is weird. But it's true. I mean, it, I know. But you can think of this, weird, this little embryo right inside those three holes. Mm -hmm. When the coconut starts growing, that little tiny embryo starts pulling energy from that liquid inside and from the meat. And then the new plant pops through one of those three holes, and then a new root goes down and a new root goes up. You actually then get something developing inside the coconut. It's actually called a cotyledon. But if you, you live in an area where they grow coconuts, you may know it as the coconut apple. And that's a brand new cotyledon growing inside that empty space in the coconut. Before it pops out. Before it pops out. That's right. And that apple is actually supposed to taste delicious. And one day I would like to taste that. I would that. too. I didn't even think of... Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I read about people eating it. And it sounds absolutely delicious. Mm -hmm. So interesting, interesting food. Now, let's talk about this coconut water for a moment. I was first introduced to it, though I hadn't tasted it until today. I was first introduced oh, to it really? you about, about 15 years ago. And why I was introduced to it was because I knew some people who were doing tissue culture. Are you very familiar with tissue culture? Oh, yeah. Oh. Do you remember this? No. Yes, I do. I haven't thought of it in years, yeah. but yeah. When you're doing tissue culture, what that is, a type of propagation where you take a, a small cutting. When I'm talking about a small cutting, I mean, it can be just... Minuscule. Minuscule. Mm -hmm. A couple of millimeters just a tiny piece of a plant, and try to grow it into a whole plant. You put it onto basically a nutrient solution. I mean, you take this tiny little piece of plant material and you put it onto this just plate of nutrient-rich jello. Yes. That's basically what it is. I was going to say jelly, but yes. And then you try and grow it. And the thing is, getting the nutrients right in this jelly, jello, whatever you want to call it, is very, very difficult. They actually have all kinds of media that they use today, not including... Uh, coconut water. But what they've discovered is that coconut water actually has this weird mix of hormones and electrolytes mm -hmm. that plants respond to. So even today, they will still use coconut water when they're having a tough time growing a plant in tissue culture. They will still go to coconut water to try and get it to, to grow. Specifically, if you're into plant biology, uh, the cytokinin, the amount of cytokinins that coconut water have, has is relatively high. And for those of you who don't know what cytokinins are, it's a hormone which generally promotes shoot growth, mm -hmm. uh, not root growth, shoot growth. So really, really interesting stuff. And then what I found most interesting about this plant, and you know that I had to find some interesting paper somewhere. This is delicious to drink, but should you want uh, more direct effects from this particular product, you can just pop this into your vein and take it intravenously. Can you really? I am not joking. I, this was absolutely insane. But yes, I found a, a recent paper. And by recent, I mean this paper came out in 2000 about a person in the Solomon Islands who needed a transfusion of plasma. This obviously this isn't going to give you red blood cells, but this is a close enough imitation of blood plasma that they kept somebody alive for two days by using coconut water because they couldn't get anything else. Now, do not put this into an IV. This is not something that you should go playing with. But as, a, uh, as an emergency source of plasma, this stuff will work. The reason that it's not a better plasma than it is is because it's actually lower in sodium and higher in potassium than it should be. But yeah, believe it or not, you know, it's possible to use this. So not only can it be a blood replacer, that's kind of stretch, 
but it it kind of it it has a lot of other uses besides the water. I mean, there's milk, there's oil, there's flour, there's stuff for your hair. There's coir. There's coir. We haven't talked about coir at all, and I'd like to take just a minute to talk about that. Have you have you dealt with that? I mean, both, a little bit. Both you and I have worked in the nursery industry, at least to some extent. So the coir of coconut, that's the part that you only see a very little of on that brown outside the hairs. That's the coir. There's a lot more of that that was removed when that outer husk was taken off. It's a hairy stuff. That stuff can be used for things like ropes or matting. Oh, yeah. But you know what it's used for that uh, applies to our nursery background? It's actually used in container media. Oh, yes. It's highly water retentive. That's right, which is kind of interesting when propagating it. It's evolved that. That's how it helps keep the seed wet. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Farmers are sometimes able to get 100 nuts per palm per year. Yes. Which I thought was insane. It takes 11 to 12 months for the coconuts to mature on the tree, which is a long time for a crop. Um, Dwarf plants actually only go 10 to 11 months Mm -hmm. before they mature. And the last thing I want to mention is that the coconut... Uh, again, is a palm. There are a lot of different palms that produce food. I think one of the most interesting ones I hope we get to someday is the coco de mer, which has the biggest nut in the world. Or I shouldn't say nut. I should say biggest seed in the world. Mm -hmm. And which, by the way, is also edible, although it's not frequently eaten. It's supposed to be absolutely delicious. But people don't eat it. In fact, in some places, it's not even legal to eat it. All right. Now I want to hear about growing the coconut. Now, growing the coconut could just be a fun project you do with your kids, not expecting, you know, to, to really bear any coconut from it. But it, it really is a fun project. In fact, I might do it in class. It would be fun. It would be fun to do it in class. But now my understanding is that germination, getting it to germinate isn't very hard. Is that? It's not. And it, you can buy a store-bought one. Usually on most things, you have to order it, you know, so you buy you just buy a regular coconut. You want to shake it to make sure you hear that sloshing sound because that is the endosperm needed to help germinate. Now, um, you want to remove the hair as much as possible, but you're not going to get all of it off. But uh, let it sit on top of a jar with a towel wrapped around it, leaving the top where those three holes are open. And then you want that cloth around it that's going to be in the jar of water as well as around the coconut so it acts as a wick. Make sure that 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 cloth is wet and that you have plenty of water in that jar. What a fascinating way to do this. I know. It is very fascinating. And then in about 15 days, the green will start to emerge. Isn't that? Right through one of those three holes. Yes, Awesome. It is awesome. Now, you want to uh, leave the cloth still wrapped around it, keep that whole apparatus intact. And after 15 more days, you'll start to see more of the root production. Even though the roots come first, they're really going to elongate at this stage. Now, after that, so that's 30 days in this wrapped cloth sitting on top of a jar of water. Now you can put it in a pot and really watch it grow. And in about 50 days total, you're going to have a little palm-looking What plant. a perfect project for a classroom. It is. It's fun. It would be fun after 50 days, get a little star- head start on it. Because it seems almost like a weird science or something. Mm-hmm. It's not, though. It's not. It's, it's, that's how you think about how it propagates in nature. And, it, of course, it doesn't have a cloth wrapped around it. But it lands on the sand and it's wet from floating into the ocean or dropping off of a tree, and it propagates right there, very similar to using a jar of water that's being wicked by a cloth. Amazing. Now, 
for if you live in Florida or California, um, it would even be worth if this tree, if you manage to propagate it, you could then transplant it outside. You could because it, it needs to be in temperatures around 80 degrees for it to thrive. And it won't produce coconuts in a pot. And it won't produce coconuts if you're using it as a house plant and have mm -hmm. to bring it in for the winter and take it out. It's just not going to work that way. In nature, it needs 100 inches of water a year. Wow. So wow. here in North Carolina, we have 45 inches. I can't oh, imagine. I had no idea yeah, that it needed that much. That inches, is amazing. And it needs a lot of humidity above 60%. There are only very specific areas in the U.S. where this thing has a right. chance. Now, um, it doesn't mind some cold, though. Oh, really? Yeah. So it can. It, can, it doesn't like getting below 18 degrees, which isn't— It'll handle down to yeah, 18? Yeah, which isn't bad. I am amazed. For, for a palm tree. No. But where do you have those cold temperatures plus all that rainfall, plus all that humidity and those high temperatures for so long? In our conservatory, I'm thinking of throwing one in there. Let's do it. We could, we could throw a dwarf in there, maybe. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. So 50 days. 50 days just for a fun project. Sounds like a blast. I keep looking over on at your side of the table. No, I'm not going to um, let you read it. Oh, oh you're killing me. <laughs> so I have this great little coffee table book uh, that at least we have on our coffee table, and I'll let you borrow it. I'll, I'll share it After with you, you finish. After we finish. But my, my husband likes to try new foods and explore, you know, uh, new restaurants. So for a gift, he got this book called A Thousand Foods to Eat Before You Die by Mimi Sheraton, and it's a food lover's life list. It's very dictionary-like, but fun at the same time. It has pictures, illustrations, and— Has it covered many of the plants we haven't covered yet? It, it has covered a few, okay. you know, because it does—it kind of, like, for example, I just opened it up, and it says um, morning shrimp in Oslo, which is Norwegian, and it's a deep-sea breakfast worth rising for. You know, so that's just kind of a weird way to eat shrimp, you know, for breakfast, right? We Sounds usually, good to me. But I mean, she'll, but then she'll get into, and she does talk about coconut, you know, so she does talk about things that we know, but things that we don't. And does she talk about durian fruit, I wonder. I don't know. I'll let you borrow it. And she even has New uh, England clam chowder, which I know isn't that big of a deal, but a little bit of history, you know, a paragraph worth, and then talks about maybe even has some recipes of where to find it, kind of like what we try to do here in a book form. And uh, she lives, Mimi Sheraton lives in New York City, and she uh, has other books too. So uh, yeah, I'll let you borrow it. Can't wait. And uh, I think our listeners would enjoy it as well. Absolutely, without a doubt. So what do you think we should do next week? Any ideas? I'll leave it up to you. You leave it up to me? Yes. How about soybean? Okay. All right. Soybean it is. Off we go. Okay. We're going to have some fun. This has been The Plants We Eat. It was presented to you by the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens, along with the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, and supported by the Isle Group. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to talking to you next week.